Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I mentioned at the beginning of service, today is Life Sunday. It's actually not the the typical kind of standard uh, date for for Life Sunday. We kind of did our own thing and put it on our own day. When we were looking at when to do it, we chose today mostly for the uh, reasons of convenience uh, before I even looked at the, the text appointed for today, I kind of figured if you can't preach on a topic as broad as life uh, from Scripture, you probably need to go back to seminary. Uh, but then I saw the text for today and thought, well, wow, you couldn't have planned it any better than that. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. There you go. So, door number one or door number two? It seems kind of like that's what it basically boils down to. Uh, Except the, the classic decision, of course, between door number one and door number two is where you don't know what at least one of the doors offers. The famous let's make a deal uh, process involves the decision between a a known commodity and an alternative of unknown value. Uh, It's been done in a lot of ways and even copied in a variety of forms. Uh, But the central point uh, of it is always to create the tension and interest Uh, by not knowing what the options are. If all of the doors or boxes or whatever were clearly labeled with what they contained, you knew what you were getting with each one, there wouldn't be quite the same interest, would there? You'd always just pick the, the better choice the greater value. Behind this door is $5. Behind this door is $5,000. Which will it be? It's not much of a question. But aren't there questions that actually would give us a little bit more of a pause? What if behind door number one were a lifetime supply of donuts? Behind door number two is a lifetime supply of broccoli. Which do you choose? (laughs) One of them is good for you. The other is good tasting. The decision gets a little more complicated. The fact that we don't always necessarily want to choose what's best for us, do we? Even when we know it's best for us. This is why Moses had to make such a big deal out of this. He wasn't harping on the obvious. In fact, his uh, emphasis on this and the need for it was borne out by the fact that as we well know, From the history of the Old Testament, the Israelites did not choose life 
all the time. They did not choose the blessings all the time. They didn't choose to follow the true God all the time. They followed the gods of the Canaanites. In every high place and in every pagan temple, they bent their knee and bowed to foreign gods, graven images of wood and stone that could not speak and could not hear and certainly hadn't created the universe. And yet the Israelites looked to them for help. Moses knew they would. And they already, at the foot of Mount Sinai, set up a golden calf and worshipped it as the God who had brought them out out of Egypt? Lest we think that this is some strange idiosyncrasy of ancient Israelites to perversely, counterintuitively choose the bad and the wrong. Let's look at our own lives. Do we always choose what is good for us? what is right rather than what is wrong. We always choose going to church rather than sleeping in or watching football. You made it here this morning, but I see enough red out there to know that there were probably some thoughts wrestling. Yeah, I could get an early start on the tailgating. There's work to be done. What about tithing versus eating out? Or lending a a helping hand to someone rather than pretending to not see your neighbor's need? What about forgiving rather than holding a grudge? At the cultural level, we can clearly see how our, our society Uh, so often has chosen abortion rather than adoption. And this is a a great example and a great opportunity in the the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned last year to really highlight this isn't a political issue. Uh, I'm not branching out into politics here. If it were a political issue, we'd be done talking about it because it was already decided in the Supreme Court. It's not a a political issue, and uh, one of the illustrations of that and consequences of that is that legislation or or judicial decisions won't bring an end to the abortion issue or abortion practice. For yet, it's still up to every state, and abortion tourism, you can just cross state lines to the nearest state where abortion is legal to go and have one. Uh, And with the uh, advances in pharmaceutical technology to even just buy a pill from your friend, uh, whatever state you happen to be in. Uh, Laws and legislation won't change the issue. A fundamental change of heart in our society is what's needed. Because what it's really about is the state of our hearts. Jesus made that very clear as we read it in our gospel lesson today by involving each and every one of us 
in a desperate struggle with the fifth commandment, regardless of how you may feel about abortion. Jesus says, if you have been angry at your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. This is something that we all have to wrestle with uh, and acknowledge that there is a heart issue uh, that is really the, the foundation uh, of the abortion debate and every other issue of, of why we choose the wrong rather than the right. It's our heart's perverseness, brokenness of all our hearts that we need to deal with in our own hearts so that we can have something to uh, say to the hearts of those around us from our own experience to help them and make a change. Uh, Not to mention so that we can deal with the crud in our own lives. Again, it, it all comes back to the first example, it's, it's all broccoli and donuts. Not many times you get to say that in a sermon, so I'm going to say it again. It's all broccoli and donuts. Where we're given a choice, we don't automatically choose what's good for us. Our hearts long for pleasure, even pleasure that we know leads to death rather than life. And ultimately, it all goes back to the very first choice between health food and the quintessential junk food. Adam and Eve's choice between the forbidden fruit that God said, do not eat of it and you will surely die, versus literally all the other fruit. They had literally all the other fruit. But they picked the one fruit that God told them would kill them. And their offspring inherited that inclination. Uh, Cain and Abel showed very clearly as their their first generation of offspring. Uh, When Abel gave a a sacrifice that was pleasing to God and was commended, Cain's sacrifice was not pleasing to God and not commended. And how did Cain respond? He got jealous. He got envious of his brother. and, And God said to him, look, just give a good sacrifice and you'll be commended. Problem solved. I just give, uh, give the sacrifice that I have ordained. Give the sacrifice that I have asked for. And Cain's response was to kill his brother. Cain chose death. Cain chose murder. Cain chose to kill his brother. How is that even supposed to help? Would that make his sacrifice better? Did that earn him God's favor? Did that improve the situation at all? I guess it made him feel better at the moment. How is that the smart choice? That's the effect 
of our sin. The inheritance uh, from Adam and Eve's rebellion that was passed down not just to Cain, who needlessly chose death, but to us as well. Uh, to needlessly choose death. And we call it original sin in the, in the, the church. Down south, we call it just plain cussedness or honoriness. Uh, but it amounts to the same thing. We can't trust ourselves even to choose life over death. That's manifested when we uh, choose short-term pleasure above a long-term benefit. When we choose our happiness over our neighbor's well-being, which is actually when you you consider it the same thing as before, choosing uh, our pleasure versus our long-term benefit when we understand that our neighbor's well-being should be important to us. It's even manifested just in uh, cutting off our nose to spite our face, uh, doing it my way, even though I know that my way isn't good, just to prove that you're not the boss of me. We can't choose our trust ourselves to choose life over death even. That's why Moses had to make such a, a strong appeal over what may seem like such an obvious choice. And that's also why Moses' appeal alone isn't enough uh, to fix the problem. No one's going to say, well, I I was going to choose death, but I suppose since Moses says I'll I'll choose life. What actually lies behind Moses' appeal is really what gives us the power to embrace life. It's what changes the state of hearts uh, to value life more than death. It's what changes our, our, our hearts to value our neighbor's needs over our wants. To value our needs over our wants. To walk in the ways of life rather than death. What lies behind Moses' appeal, what changes our hearts Uh, to choose life is the fact that he's not speaking to a a random crowd, but to a people whom God had already chosen himself and had given many proofs that he had chosen them. He showed them, he had chosen them by rescuing them out of Egypt with the, the ten plagues, the Passover, and again, rescuing them uh, from the, the hand of Pharaoh by parting the Red Sea so that they could cross through on dry ground while Pharaoh and his hosts were drowned behind them. He showed them powerfully that he had chosen them by making a covenant with them at Mount Sinai where he made a deal with them that he would be their God and they would be his people. 
God showed them powerfully that he had chosen them by providing for them throughout their time of wandering through the wilderness, uh, giving them food to eat and daily manna, on water to drink, uh, flowing from, from uh, the very heart of the rock, even providing for them so that their shoes and clothing did not wear out throughout their time of wandering. That's pretty powerful evidence that God had chosen them. That their position with him was not based on their choice, but based on his. But the crazy thing is that God has given even more compelling proof to us that he has chosen us by giving his life for us. Jesus came to a world that chose death. Jesus came to a world that chose the forbidden fruit that God said, you must not eat of it or you will surely die. Jesus came to a world that chose the murderer, Barabbas, for Pilate to release and said to the Lord of life, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus said by his actions, yes, yes. Crucify me. Crucify me and let me die in your place so that you can live the life I give up for you. We could never choose that life. It could only be given to us. We didn't even choose to be born in the first place in an earthly way. We certainly can't choose eternal life. Um, People say that uh, salvation is a gift, but you have to choose to accept it. That's absurd. Uh, For one thing, it's it's a law all over again. It's just Moses straight up. You choose, and by the way, you can't, so good luck with that. The gospel is Jesus who gives a life and and, uh, gives it as a gift, the way you give any gift. Uh, This Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day is on Tuesday, gentlemen. Uh, This Valentine's Day, are you going to give your wife a a dozen roses and say, ask for a receipt? Yeah, I'm going to expect some sort of formal acknowledgement that you had chosen to accept these roses. No, that's not how you give a gift. You give the gift and you say, this is yours because I love you. And that's how God gives us his gift of life. Because he chose to. He didn't give us a choice. He just gave us his life. He didn't tell us to make a choice he knew we couldn't make. He just gave us his life to show us in the strongest possible way that he 
had chosen us, that he has chosen you. And that's what changes our hearts. His love, his blood given and shed for us for the forgiveness of sins, given for us to drink in the Lord's Supper. There's a spiritual blood transfusion that changes the state of our hearts completely. As good as a heart transplant. It gives us healthy hearts filled with love for Him and for our neighbor. And what it really comes down to um, when it comes to, to life, uh, abortion, or any other topic is uh, where do good works come from? Where do kindness and love come from? Is it from laws and legislation? Now you can put a curb on how evil and wicked people can be by setting punishments for crimes, but you can't legislate people to love one another? Does it come from logical arguments and convincing proofs? Uh, you can show people and teach people, but if their, their heart is against it, they're not going to believe it with their mind. It goes back to what Paul is talking about in our epistle lesson as well. God gives the growth. What will resolve the abortion issue is the same as what solves every other issue of sin in our life. It's what leads us to love our neighbor and to show kindness in any area of our life. What leads us to life rather than death in all our decisions and activities is God's love. The love he's shown us in Christ Jesus is He gave his life for us. That's what transforms hearts. As it leads us through the gospel to love one another as Christ has loved us. Jesus' blood gives life. And that transforms our lives in so many beautiful ways in every way. And may that peace is beyond all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.